This is KJEM, KJEM Radio, and we are on the air. I'm Craig Phillips. And I'm Amy Rhodes. Tonight, we are honored to have special guests joining us, Desiree Goyette. And Jim fans will remember her as dance, but Desiree is really a multi-talented performer. That's right. She has an impressive resume, everything from Charlie Brown to Garfield, and of course, we can't forget Jem. And her deep love of music stretches far beyond any reaches. So welcome, Desiree. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, you guys. Thanks really hey, it's a pleasure. I, I, it's so amazing to me that there are people who remember Jem and, and just have so many, like, um, stories to tell about their experience with Jem, and I'm just I'm just thrilled and honored to be part of this. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. you're very welcome. Yeah, totally. It, it's kind of surreal for probably both myself and Amy, because, I mean, we're talking to the voice of dance. I mean, this is literally talking to dance right now, so that's really cool. <laughs> well, I have to say, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, her, your, your voice has not changed. I mean, that's amazing. So... Well, thank but you yeah, we have we have a lot of uh, questions, of course, and we're going to field a lot of calls too. Um, and you know, we're just going to you know kind of go through this and uh, you know kind of keep it loose or whatever. One of the things, of course, is you know we want to focus on you know your entire career um, and and really because Jem was only a portion of your of your life. And you know we want to start you know like with how it all began for you and you know talk to everything you're currently doing. So we got a pretty good spectrum. I think to 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 go through. Good. If we go back far enough, we'll easily fill the hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's good. I know. Hopefully, we can do that. So, um, all right. So, why don't we uh, why don't we start off with uh, with everybody's favorite, the gem question? So, you want to take this one, Amy? Right. This is K gem. So, of course, we'll be starting with the gem questions first. Um, I really, I'm curious. How did you get into voice acting? Okay, well, that's sort of a long story, but, you know, I early on had written music uh, as a child and, and loved um, writing songs that reminded me of other singers, and so I would sing them using sort of the voice of other singers like Judy Garland and oh. uh, Barbara Streisand, and so I started being a pretty decent mimic from the time I was... Um, probably at around the age that you started watching Jem, at around awesome. four or whatever. And, um, and so I just always loved um, uh, using my voice for different things and, of course, also to sing. And I thought that I would kind of become a recording artist. And instead, I found myself writing music uh, for children's television. And during that time, I was often brought into the booth. You know, they would say, oh, Desiree, you know, we need girl number three for this scene. And I'd be there working on the music part of it. So I'd come in and just do a, an occasional voice here or there. And that sort of, you know, I started getting a taste for enjoying doing voiceover work, even though I didn't consider myself really a voiceover actor. Um, but then kind of my big break and the big shift for me uh, came when I... Um, uh, I auditioned by accident um, to be the new voice of Betty Boop. And I had um, I knew that I was slated to do the music for it, and I was brought in to play the piano for all of the women who were auditioning to be the new voice of Betty. This was for a 1984 um, brand-new piece of animation. It was the first new animated piece of Betty Boop uh, since, you know, the early black and whites. And, um, and so they... they brought in, they did a big thing in the Hollywood Reporter, uh, so it was a big casting call, a big cattle call, as we used to call them. 
And so there were people lined up all around the block auditioning for Betty. And I was in there playing the piano for these auditions. And, you know, in Hollywood, when you announce that there's going to be an open call, um, you get a lot of folks there who just really want to be seen and heard. And they may, may or may not even know what the role is that they're trying out for or know much about it. And this was the case because lots of them came up to me and said, yeah, what does Betty sound like? Like just before they were about to sing their song or, or do their, read their script. And I said, oh, well, you know, you just sort of have to pucker up and put on a little Brooklyn. And you, you've got it. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's yeah, awesome. I had done Betty as a child. She was one of my heroes. And I, but I had no intention of trying out. I didn't consider myself a professional uh, voiceover actor. But after doing that enough times and the producers overhearing the voice that I was doing while they were in the booth at the studio listening to all the different folks, they finally said, actually it was the head of specials for CBS at that time, he pushed the talk back button in the studio and said, so Des, when are you going to try out for Betty? I said, me? And he said, yeah, I've been hearing you. I think you better try out. And so I did. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so I ended up getting that role. And prior to that, now, you know, to be fair, I guess before that I had already done Nermal, Nermal's voice in Garfield. And, um, and so, but again, I kind of considered that a sideline because I was mostly working on the music for the Garfield shows. And I'd do oh, an occasional yeah. little incidental voice, but they did like me for Nermal. So I was the voice of Nermal, the world, awesome. the world, yeah, it is kitty cat. That big Amen to that. That was one of my favorite thing. characters. <laughs> so I just got to be loud and obnoxious, mostly, being that part. <laughs> very that different. Very different than dance. And um, so then I eventually, I did get an agent specifically to help me with my voiceover acting career, which seems to be blossoming despite myself. And um, they called me in on this audition, I remember, for Jem. And I remember, I remember the day um, there were just a whole bunch of us. Uh, in there at the same time trying out and um and i i had had never met most of the other women that uh, other girls we were all girls trying out um and i remember being brought into this booth and asked to read snippets of several different characters um and and i remember very specifically being asked it was Wally Burr he was the director the voice director for us he was an excellent mm-hmm. director and I remember him saying to me, um, can you sound more angry? And, you know, I tried. And I, I think he was having me try out for misfits and everybody, right? So uh, I, I tried to be edgy and angry, but my voice doesn't go there very naturally. That's, it's, it's an acting job for me to do that. And yeah, so, you don't sound um, angry. <laughs> so I didn't get the angry stuff, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> and, yeah, right. And, you know, and he, but he kept asking me to get mad, and so I really kind of, I remember walking away from that thinking, well, I guess I'm not going to get any of those roles because he kept wanting me to be angry, and I knew that I wasn't nailing it. You know, I, was, I felt like I was doing okay. And I remember there being one part, though, that was really sweet and felt very natural to my voice, and he seemed quite pleased with that. Um, but still, he kept asking me about this angry thing. So I thought, oh, boy, okay, I, you know, blew that. And so I was really surprised to hear back that I'd gotten this role. And I was, you know, it was very exciting and just, you know, a lot of fun to record it. We'd go in. It seemed like almost every week, although 
the, some of the more regular characters, certainly them, you know, they were in there every week, and I wasn't as often. You saw me more than you heard me, um, probably. That's right. Yeah, dance didn't <laughs> always dancing. have a whole lot of lines. I was such a good dancer in those days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. So, but I, I also, um, you know, had hopes that I'd be able to sing on the show because I heard that it was about, you know, sing a lot to do with music. and. and That's right. Um, did it surprise you that, that they didn't ask you to sing? It did. I didn't really grasp that all the music production was being done elsewhere. And mm-hmm. um, I think I was still sort of enough wet behind the ears that I kept thinking maybe they'd ask me one day to sing something. But but when since I was cast as the choreographer, I figured, oh, well, I guess they'll never know that I can sing. <laughs> and, <laughs> I actually had a question about that, Desiree. Yeah. Um now, I, I, there's a song on Gem uh, in an episode called Alone Again, and the uh, the girl that sings it sounds a lot like your vocals. It really does, and I wondered if you remember by any chance um, actually if that was you or if they actually had somebody else do that song. You know, I, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't recall ever singing for that show, um, but I could be mistaken. I mean, if, is, is it a short snippet of a song? It's a, it's, it's a full, you know, gem song, but it was done by one of the temporary Starlight Girls, uh-huh. and it's called Alone Again, and it's this really sad song, sung by this girl who becomes addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. but, uh, which is heavy for gem, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, it, we, ne- we just couldn't figure out who that was singing it. I know it's not Britta, so right. we just were wondering. I, I don't think it was me. Um, I you know, but there it's funny how how there are a lot of little patches of things that I don't really remember the details of, but I don't think they ever brought any of us here on this end to sing. Any of the voiceover folks to sing. So I right. think Oh pity because you guys have amazing voices. <laughs> I know so many of the voiceover people. Y'all are so talented. Well I well, think it goes think... hand in hand, the singing and the and the you know knowing your instrument and just having a sense of the range you know, when you're a singer, it really helps you. With it, really does play directly into your ability to be a good voiceover actor in terms of range and understanding how to use the instrument in different ways. So, yeah. Oh, right. Hope. Hope. I love to sing, and so. <laughs> Yay. No That's right. Instrument. Yeah, it's nice. So it really is. Didn't they produce now, most of those? Where did they produce most of the tracks? You guys know the answer. Uh, in New York, actually. Uh, Ann Bryant was the composer of, I think, 99.8% of the songs, I think. I believe um, that. And, oh, my, man, is she talented. Very. And I, I met her, uh, actually, at GemCon 2009, and it was an honor because one thing I learned about um, – was that she wrote the song, the theme song, to a show that I grew up on when I was age four years old, and it's what got me into music, and that was the Great Space Coaster. And oh, I didn't I find that. that, and I didn't find that out until thirty years to the day later that she wrote it, and I, I literally almost started crying because I'm like, "You're why I play music. I understand my my musical roots now." And this is at age four. I didn't know that. It was just so cool to to meet that to meet that uh, to, to meet her. It was just. Unbelievable. Oh yeah. But um. And the songs are so, solid um, songs. They're uh, you know re-listening, revisiting, and listening to some of those gem songs. They're all really good, solid little songs. 
They really are. They are. They're just shorter than the average song, but they're still really good. Yeah, they have a nice structure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's there's something like 200, I think, some songs or whatever that were written. I mean, a lot of the episodes repeated some of the songs, and they would just make different video clips to kind of go along with them. But, right. yeah, there's a lot of songs. And I, I know in my, in my uh, music library, I've got a majority of them. I think I got, like, maybe 90% of them. And, oh, I've uh, got them all on CDs, and you know, they were never released, but I still managed to get them made onto CDs. Good. Other well, you know, it, it, would, would, it, would it have to all go through what, Hasbro, if you wanted to ever release all those yeah, collections? That would be so great if they would do that, but yeah, whoever <sighs> owns them, they would have to agree to, to put right. out. And that's actually the really hard thing right now is because when Jem disbanded, the rights went everywhere. I mean, you know, I know that uh, I think BMG, I think, currently holds the rights to the songs that Anne wrote, which I think pretty much was all of them for Jem. And he had to go through them to license. Mm-hmm. Hasbro owns all the trademarks for the dolls and, and, and the first names of the characters mm-hmm. and I think Christy might own Christy Mars who was the uh, creator of the show the TV oh, series yeah. I think she owns some of the rights as well I think and may not she may have actually had to give them up to Hasbro so you can just imagine the, the huge trailer copyright mess and this is one reason why it's just so hard to even get on DVD we have two of them but we never got all of them so oh, and that's still an unfortunate thing Hmm. Well, so. I think like it would, seems like if you guys rallied around and let them know how many Jam Jam fans are out there, um, you know, certainly BMG would want to, you know, capitalize on it a little bit and re-release yeah, you would, you would your so. collection of just the songs. I mean, because they probably have the independent rights, independently of Christy Marks and that sort of thing, if that was part of Anne's library and then they have that, they probably could just um, do that. I think you but should write been, letters. Everybody write yeah, letters. Exactly. <laughs> you want to encourage well, people to do that. But there have been petitions for years trying to get either all the episodes on DVD or all the songs released because it's amazing that there's so many quality songs and then they have not ever been released on CD. It's yeah. really a shame. Well, you know, I have to laugh because I see flying on Facebook the different comments on sort of the different outfits and and styles, those 80 styles. Frankly, (laughs) I I see it now. I mean, I don't feel that, I I think that that style is, a lot of it's coming back. I was was remembering, um, I I did a tour of a show um, uh, just singing a bunch of songs. This is for Charlie Brown now, I'm shifting gears a little bit, when Mm -hmm. Flash Beagle came out, the year Flash Beagle came out, and of course, oh, yeah. it was oh, yes. a parody of Flash Dance, and um, I wore, like, these pink lace leggings, all right, and okay. I wore, like, a, a tunic-length top with a low-slung belt. Is this sounding familiar? I mean, like I think totally somebody uploaded a video with uh, with uh, Flash Beagle, and I thought it was like a split screen. I don't remember. Oh. what that, I just saw the other day, actually, on, oh, on somebody's that, wall. That, that thing is a um, – that's showing how the dancing was done. You know, they rotoscoped. Um, okay. They rotoscoped uh, over um, a, a video of Maureen Jahan doing the dance moves. Maureen Jahan mm-hmm. is a trivia. She was the gal that did, she was the dance double for Jennifer Beals in um, Flashdance. 
And okay, I remember that. Yeah, so they hired her to come in, and then they filmed her. I was there the day they filmed her. It was really cool. And then they basically superimposed Snoopy's image on top of her so that every move Snoopy made were authentically her dance steps. Oh, wow. they, they did that. They did that with uh, um, Tom, Tom, uh, Jerry, not Tom yeah. and Jerry, but with Jerry and I can't remember the dancer, but it was Gene, in Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly. Yeah, Gene, thank you. Yes, Gene Kelly. Yeah, yeah that they, was they, really cool. Yeah, they've done that through the years. It's an old technique, um, and it works really, really well. Now they're doing things kind of similar in some of the CGI stuff, but there's something so rich about that old technique that is just I think really cool but but yeah so I I kind of did a little touring show I remember going to shopping malls like across the country <laughs> wearing this this get up and appearing with Snoopy with the costumed character of Snoopy and singing these you know disco flash beagle songs um off of the Disney record flash beagle it was Jeez, so- where were we at that time? Why couldn't we have ever seen that? <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, really, but, but that outfit, that, it was exactly something dance would have worn. I mean, it was pink. I had oh. the big hair. I had the big, like, oh, right scarf, scarfy things in my hair. It was so dance. You would, I have pictures of me somewhere <laughs> in that get Oh, I would love to see I that. I look just like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, that's Absolutely. Me, to me, that's, those styles are happening now. So oh, everything comes back. Yeah, sure. so I think it's yes. time to, to really definitely make a push and get get Jen back on the air. I mean, I watch this stuff I shouldn't even be talking about networks, should I, or is that okay? I don't know. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at Cartoon Network and others, a lot of them are just running vintage shows, you know, over and over again. What the heck? Yep. They should put well, yeah. Come on, the Astro. older shows are so, they're good quality. In my opinion, yeah. the older shows, like from the 80s and and older than that, are so much better than what's on TV today. And I hate to say it, it's just my opinion. Well, you the know quality what is struck better. me? What really struck me re-watching those, thanks for sending me a couple of, of, of episodes, Craig, to refresh my memory. Thank you, thank you. Oh, uh, not a problem. Um, watching them, um, you know, I felt like the storylines were pretty great. Well, it, oh, yeah. It's kind of, you know, there's there's a quality about them where they... They definitely were more appealing to the older kids. You could see why. And um, they'd have, you know, two or three things going on at once that I think is pretty cool. And the other the other thing that's so fun about these characters is that, you know, they were not only this amazing rock band and at a time when there were very few girls, you know, rock bands. Um, in fact, I think True. Only, only the one was Belinda Carlisle, right? So, I mean, what? The Go Go's, and then he, yeah, there was another band in the '80s uh, called Vixen, which was kind of more of the harder rocked, okay. you know, kind and of a band. Yeah, so definitely glam, definitely glammed out. Kind of like Misfits would fit in with that, but whatever. But they, but um, they were also superheroes. Let's face it, they were total heroes. Yeah, yeah compared time. to what you have today, it's just you know, it's all you know. It's the other thing. Have you noticed too, Desiree, that cartoons are getting chopped because they want to cram more commercials? In oh, yeah. you know, like back in the '80s, or actually back in the '70s, um, you know, like a show like All in the Family ran like 26 minutes, I know. and they've taken what now it's like down to the t- almost a 20 minute for a half hour and 40 minutes for a full hour, and it's just well, disgraceful yeah, in why, my opinion. That's why so much of the plot is sacrificed because they don't have enough time to get everything in there. That's and right. But the yep. it's so true. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just I I'm I'm very impressed when I as I watch them again at um, kind of the scope, and they they really 
well-developed and defined the characters. So there yeah, was that's no... one thing I always love so much is they really did spend time, Christy and all the writers, they really spent a lot of time on these characters and developed them. Yeah. Really they well. really did, yeah. yeah. Now, Desiree, there was one really great episode that I'll have to send you this one. It's called Out of the Past. It's written by uh, uh, Michael Charles Hill, who is a prolific writer on uh, GEM as well as Transformers and I think G.I. Joe. And that one was probably one of the most emotional shows um, oh, yeah. probably it, in, this show, in the history. Well, it, it dealt with um, the, the holograms, uh, Angelica and Kimber, their parents and growing up and their past and, you know, where they come from, which is we wanted to know that. And so that's why it's so um, important to fans. And it's emotional because it shows what happened to uh, Jerrica's mother. She mm-hmm. got killed in a plane crash and so sad, but anyway. You know, yeah. I remember I remember that. Um, I don't know that dance is even in that episode much. No, I don't think so. But Maybe a little I, bit. I remember that. The, I remember either possibly being there because we wouldn't always just record one show. I mean, sometimes I seems to me we'd record more than one show sometimes or parts of yeah. You know, because I can I can almost hear them talking about plane crash. I can I, I seem to recall that. But uh wow. I'd be an interesting one to see. Yeah, I'd like to see it. it. Exactly. That's a good one. It was one of my personal favorites because um, it had a lot of information packed into this one episode about everybody's past. But um That's true. Actually, before we continue, recording. I wanted to uh yeah, actually, I wanted to uh, let everybody know that uh, you can actually still call into our show. And uh, if you want to call in to talk to Desiree and ask her your questions, uh, the number is one seven two four 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 seven four four four, And then the call ID number is 93860. So, okay, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Go ahead, Amy. What were oh, you no, going to say okay. now? We, we were forgetting to give out the number. Um, <laughs> no, I was uh, thinking of the recording sessions, and I was wondering... Were you in the studio by yourself, or was it the whole cast or a big group in there recording that's for the gem episodes? That's something um, that Wally Burr did that not a lot of other um, uh, voice directors did. Um, I would say that you know a lot of my voiceover career has been alone in a booth someplace. But in this case, it was all of us together. Um, we actually did Garfield that way, too. It was so much fun, and you could really get a better sense of interacting with the other yeah. actors. So, yes. so, and he would set our stands up. He'd set up our stands. We'd be in like a couple of rows, as I recall. And those characters that had, you know, dialogue together um, would be next to each other in the stands so that we oh. get that sense of, Really, really interacting, and yeah, uh, then you could play off of each other. That's exactly. And he was very, uh, very clear about not wanting us to step on each other's lines. Um, <laughs> some some directors really encourage you more to step on each other's lines because it can sound very natural that way. You know, if you're if there's a scene where you where but you know, but Stefan, but but you know, and you want then Stefan to interrupt you. And and instead of the actor, often the actor will, I'll even do this, I'll jot down a string of things that I want to keep saying, knowing that that line will get stepped on, and then it'll sound really natural. Am I making sense here? Like, yeah, yeah I, I do, actually. You might say, um, uh, Stefan, no, don't go now. I, you know, I need to talk to you. 
and really what's written on the script is just Stefan don't go. <laughs> and right. and it, but it'll say Stefan interrupts her, you know. And it, it kind of sounds like Wally was was very meticulous about that. It, it seems like he had a very like, you know, some some people have. I mean, you know, Wally's a great guy. And I remember I know that Patricia in one interview said that he, you know, no, it was either Patricia or it was uh, it was um, Samantha Paris or also known as Bobby Block mm-hmm. came out and said, yeah, he's he's a bit of a taskmaster, but he knows what he wants because he's yeah. so good at what he does, and I, I always I always come at it because I mean he created some of the best you know situations for you guys i would think you know and you know told you know really kind of said you know what i know you can do this i i can feel it in you guys that you can do this and i just think that's so cool and how he just you know he would i mean did he did it seem like he pushed you guys an awful lot to you know he did i be better i felt he did push us in a really it was a positive thing though for me i think i grew a lot by that Mm -hmm. and i was surrounded by other really good actors and i was still very young and new at it, relatively new. And, you know, it's one thing. It, for me, it's infinitely easier to do a character voice than it is to do a real voice. These characters were real. These were real people, you know. Mm-hmm. Being it sounds in, like there's a dance in your um, real voice. And, right. Kind and, of- and so character stuff is easier because you can just kind of throw some personality into it and, and overact, but Wally was really keen on having these characters sound very real. And again, when I revisited this video today, I was sitting there, kind of my jaw dropped. I thought, "Gee, I sounded really good." <laughs> <laughs> and I know that. Well, I that, but that also comes from talent, though, too. I mean, you know, Desiree, you know, you got you got some talent in you. Well, thank you, but he he really did just what you said. I mean, he brought it out, and if he didn't get he gave you a chance, and if he didn't hear what he wanted, he'd do line reads. And you know what I mean by that. He would say it exactly how he wanted you to say it, and you'd copy him. And it didn't happen often, but for sake, for, for when time was, when the clock was ticking, and time, you know, the, the money in that studio, he would just say, "Okay, here's what I want," and he would just say it, and then we, whoever it was, would instantly copy him, and he'd be happy. And, um, How many? I, I, I was always curious about this. Did you guys? Um, I, I know that uh, Patricia said there was a few times where frustrations got so high that sometimes lines would be forgetting and actually choice words would be added in there. Did you ever uh, <laughs> uh, hear witness to that? Um, a couple of times. A couple of times, yeah. And you know, but it was, to tell you the truth, though, pretty much everybody kept in very good spirits. It was a, it was a pretty. Um, um, they, they were. Everybody was there. Um, they were there for the fun. They were there for the love of it, uh, and it was a good team, a good working team. And uh, and I think Wally did a really, really great job on it. And and he moved through a lot of episodes very quickly. He's a very efficient uh, director. Very, very. Oh yeah, we've heard nothing but good things about him. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, Wally, Wally's a legend. Touch? Oh yeah. Have you uh, kept in touch with any of the other Jim cast members? Well, coincidentally, um, Bobby Block, uh, a.k.a. Samantha Paris, lives very close to me. Um, she she works in the, the neighboring town of Sausalito. Uh, she has her, her voice overacting studio there called uh, mm-hmm. voice, Tra- voice Tracks. It's a very successful voice overacting school. And I remember when I first bumped into her, I walked in and for an audition because um, she has a school there, but 
her place is also often used for casting calls. So, you know, um, people who are casting for commercials or whatever might use her facility. And so I walked in there and I saw her and I'm like, Bobby. And um, I was told that it was at Samantha Paris's place. And I didn't know who Samantha Paris was. I just knew Bobby Block. And um, so she said, yeah, yeah, well, my name's, you know, it's Samantha Paris now. <laughs> she says, you know, I just wanted to, to get a little more sophisticated. And so, um, and I guess, I guess Samantha Paris is infinitely more sophisticated than Bobby Block, but she's still the same, <laughs> still the same Bobby, full of energy, just great personality, wonderful out there, vibrant um, person. So, yeah. so is Bobby her real name, or is is it Samantha that's her real name then? Well, you know, I I want to say Bobby's her real name, but I guess I don't really know. We'll have to. Why don't we? We should Google it. Yeah, <laughs> really, we should. Um, <laughs> you know, Bobby probably is short for Roberta. I'm guessing, but um, mm, that makes sense. Um, but on the other hand, if she was living and working in L. A. and wanted something kind of catchy and and that worked well for the kind of character actor she was, then Bobby Block's a good a good. Uh, character name, so I don't know. That's a good stage name for sure, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, so, no doubt. Uh, but I think she just wanted to go for more, you know, sophisticated things. So right on. I just wanted to remind our caller, our our listeners, I should say, that you can call into our show. Uh, the number to call in is one seven two four 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 seven four four four. Call ID is nine three eight six zero. So um, obviously, uh, Desiree, there's been a lot of. Uh, cartoons that you've done throughout your career um of course one of our personal favorites is, of course is the stuff you did on garfield mm. and oh yeah we that is watched that growing up <laughs> well in fact i just watched um the christmas special mm. and which i think is one of my favorites because you actually get to sing on that one and we actually hear your voice yeah. in that one and and what I I wondered is um, what was that like working on such a, a classic you know and and you know renowned cartoon show you know talking of course of uh, Garfield and Friends what was that like I was like a kid in a candy store because I was still uh, very young when I got that job I worked for the fat cat before I worked for the white dog <laughs> um, but I. Um, I I remember at the time thinking that, oh, it was going to be a one-shot deal, just a one-time special, which was its very first special. Really, it it came out, I think, in 1980, and it was called Here Comes Garfield, the very first Garfield special. And the licensing had taken off. The paper, you know, the comic was just huge at that time. And um, uh, I, I was actually had just written music for another show and the same producer, Lee Mendelson, was uh, working with Jim Davis on producing this Garfield show. So he asked if I would, you know, read the script and see if there were if I could be inspired to write anything, any music for it. And there's this one scene in that first show where Odie is being taken away to the pound and Garfield goes chasing after the the dog catcher's truck, you know. And I remember that part always made me cry as a kid. Right. And, and the song came to me, So long, old friend, I wish that I could see you once again. I never knew the time would come when I'd be losing you. And it just came to me so naturally. And wow, I played you sounded that. completely the 
time for them. And they, Yay! Everybody, <laughs> yeah, they, and everybody was just, you know, they, they, they were, all of us were just crying at this little simple song that came out of that scene. And, um, and so I, it, it, was, it was a love affair to work on those shows. It was great fun. Jim Davis is an awesome person, uh, very talented, very fun. It was through working on those shows that I really got to learn more about who this songwriting partner of mine was, who I eventually married, my husband, Ed Bogus. And we mm-hmm. wrote um, kind of hundreds of songs for not only the Garfield primetime specials, but then, as you mentioned, for the um, Garfield and Friends Saturday morning series, which did very well. I think, I think in all there were about 100, mm-hmm. over 100, and I want to say close to 150 episodes of Garfield. Yeah, it was on a long time. Shows, yeah. yeah, it really was. Those went on a long time, and and it was an honor to work on those. A lot of fun, great cast of voiceover actors. Howie Morris, uh, who was from your show of shows, the old Sid Caesar uh, show. You know, oh, wow. Eight old vaudeville kind of actors that we would bring in as guest artists on that show, guest voices, and I learned so much from being in the booth with those people. It really prepared me for the work I did at dance and and the later work that I've done. It was just such an awesome experience. Did you ever get to um, uh, sit down or ever talk to um, Lorenzo Music at all, who voiced Garfield? Yes, I did many, many times. Um, What was he like? Because obviously, you know, we only know him as Garfield, but you got to meet him as a person, so. You know, he was very, he had this very calm, quiet demeanor. His voice, that slow delivery that he had as Garfield, is just exactly how he spoke. You know, there were a lot of jokes around because Lorenzo did not do voices. He did one voice, and it was the voice of Carlton the doorman and the voice of Garfield. And, you know, we would laugh because if Garfield ever had to kind of pretend to be like put on an English accent or do something in character – it still just always sounded like Garfield trying. <laughs> and That's Lorenzo awesome. would, you know, he would he would say that of himself. You know, I guys, I don't know how to do anything but this voice, his own speaking voice. And it just so happened that he had a way, a dry way of delivering a line that just made it so funny and so perfect um, for Garfield. I remember when 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 they were first looking for the voice. And I had written the theme song for the very first special, and they hadn't yet cast the voice. I thought I kept hearing Lou Rawls. I thought that it was a fat cat who was very cool. And I, I wrote this song. Um, well, he's a fat cat, a cool cat. Nobody's fool cat. Well, look out, cause here comes Garfield. He never keeps fit. He's too hip. He likes his cat nip. Well, look out, because here comes Garfield. And I just, Lou Rawls was really big then, and I I just kept, mm-hmm. I'm not, not big in size. He was never, Lou Rawls <laughs> was never a heavy man. I mean, he was no. you know, a big name, and I just yep. um, kept hearing his voice. And so I was surprised initially when they got this sort of almost timid-sounding voice of, or, or mon- monotoned kind of voice of, of Lorenzo's. But you know, it grew on me right away, and then it, it really like, fits that character. Yeah. Then it oh, was like wow. just couldn't imagine anybody else doing it. And right. then, of course, later on, having Bill Murray do it, um, 
And I remember being aware at the time, you know, um, talking to Lorenzo and not knowing if he was always going to stick with it because it was going on for a while. And, and, you know, I think he also wanted to make sure he was being paid handsomely for it. Um, so there were times. As all great actors do. Oh, yeah. So there were times <laughs> when it would come up, well, who else would do it? And there were two names that would come up, Bill Murray and Tommy Smothers. Um, because oh, that's Tom, interesting. Yeah, because Tom Smothers' voice is very much like Lorenzo's. They're just their natural speaking voices. And, mm-hmm. and legally, you know, you couldn't have someone who's doing a, a caricature of or an impression of that person's voice. That would actually be, be illegal. But if their natural speaking voice is basically the same, hmm, you could kind of do that. Um, so anyway, it was interesting. But Lorenzo was dear, uh, kind, um, a generous-spirited individual, um, and just a, a great, um, great personality and actor very very bright and always brought always brought more into the script than what was on the page he he would you know he would do a lot of ad-libs and a lot of stuff that helped bring the scripts even more to life although they were really beautifully written by um, mark evanier awesome mm-hmm. awesome script writer so comedy wow. writer yeah so those were I mean, great years Wow, that is that is incredible. It was just really sad when he passed away, though, because I mean, we lost a living legend. I mean, oh, we really I did. I couldn't imagine anybody else ever being I Garfield. I know. I no. mean, Bill Murray, he did good, but it just wasn't the same. No, it no, just, no, no. And it was interesting too, because Lorenzo also, um, you know, if you remember the cartoon, uh, the real Ghostbusters, uh, he voiced Peter Venkman on that cartoon series. Oh, I um, didn't know that. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, that was actually. Oh, I want to say it was like 86 or so, because they had just, I think, actually, I'll take it back, it was probably around the same time that the original Ghostbusters movie came out, you know, with Harold Ramis yeah, and Don Reno and those guys. I think it was right yeah. after the movie. Oh, yeah, yep. I thought about that. And, um, oh, well, yeah. But, no, it was just, it was really, really cool to, to, um, to hear him, and I couldn't hear anybody else. I mean, even watching the Garfield films, I could not become so tuned to Lorenzo's voice yeah. as most of us kids who grew with that. I mean, when I read a comic strip today, or I go back and read the old that came out in the early 80s, all I picture is Lorenzo speaking the lines and nobody else. That's right. You can hear and you can't, you can't. in your head. That's so true. That's right. It, that yeah. would be like somebody else trying to play dance. I mean, there's just nobody else that could play desert. You know, there's nobody that could do that, you know, because your voice is very unique. It's very... You know, it's just this very soothing, relaxing voice that, you know, really fit dance so well. You know, we couldn't hear anybody else doing dance. I can guarantee you that. That's right. So I just wanted to remind people... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I just want to remind people that you can still call into our show. Uh, the number is one seven two four 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 seven four four four. Call ID number is nine three eight six zero. So um, anyway, so back to Garfield. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite cartoons. I remember Saturday mornings at nine thirty. Um, I would actually watch that cartoon. Well, heck, I got up at six in the morning to watch cartoons for five hours and rot my brain. But you know, I didn't I care. Garfield. Me and my brother. That's one show that we both watched together. We were both so into Garfield. <laughs> Great. Brilliant. 
But you know what's really cool, I think, Desiree, is just is just the amount of music contributions you've given. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that you know you have those skills. I mean, it's not just voice work that you've done, but it's it's also the music that you're really, you know, involved in. And I mean, that just floors me. I didn't know this that you had wrote for you know the three major specials like you know the Halloween, the Thanksgiving, and Christmas special on Garfield until I bought the DVDs. They just came out this last before Christmas, and I bought them. And then as I was watching the credits, which normally people don't do, I saw your name and, you know, right right around there was also, um, you know, Ed's name, you know, your future husband. And it was just like, wow, how cool is that? I, I did a double take. I'm going, did I just see that? <laughs> because really? I, really, that's what I did first was the music. Mm-hmm. And that has remained constant. But then the voiceover acting kind of happened, like I say, as a sort of a sideline and then sort of mm-hmm. took over for a while. And, you know, I, I I really I really continue to do both. Um, I remember over one summer I was working on a talking Snoopy doll project for a company called Worlds of Wonder. They had put out I remember them. the Teddy Ruxpin Teddy doll, Ruxpin. Oh, yeah. hit, the automatonic, whatever it was called, kind of talking toy. And <laughs> over one summer I remember having the opportunity to write, gosh, I think I wrote 45 songs in, in actually two oh. months. Uh, for wow. for that toy alone, and um, and you know just loved every minute of it, and I also directed uh, the Charlie Brown voices uh, for a few years. And yeah, which the, which uh, years did you do that? I, I was well, wondering about that. Again, that's during all during the eighties because all uh, most people know my life's an open book. I was previously married to Lee Mendelson, who who was the producer of the Charlie Brown shows. Mm. Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had I met him while I was working on a TV show. Um, uh, gosh, again, this is early '80s. Uh, mm-hmm. I was on a TV show called The New You Asked For It Show. Um, mm-hmm. Rich, Rich Little was the main host, and I was the co-host along with a bunch of other beautiful young gals. And they um, they sent me all over the world to do stories. I was an on-camera like field reporter for that show. And it was internationally syndicated. It was a it was a, a pretty big hit for a couple of years. Basically, people would send in letters requesting to see different things. For example, the pyramids in 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 Cairo in Egypt. Mm-hmm. They'd say, you know, I often wanted to go to Egypt, but before I spend my money, could you send one of your reporters there to tell us more about it? And so they'd fly me out, and I'd stand in front of the pyramids, you know, or sit on, sit on a camel. Uh, with my little microphone, <laughs> and I'd say, hi, I'm here in front of the Great Pyramids of Cheops because you, Craig, asked for it. And, <laughs> I, and then right I'd uh, tell a story about it. And um, so that was my first big TV break. And in the context wow. of doing those shows on camera, you know, most of them were, it was sort of documentary-style snippets of things, little feature stories all around the world. And um, so I would do my on-camera bits, and then... Like, say, then they want to show the inside of the pyramid. Then I, I would do the voiceover uh, part of it, just, you know, like a narration. And so I did that for two years, but I was always writing music during that time. And, and this is actually a really fun story. I was in the outback of Australia doing stories there on, you know, really on the aborigines there. And I was in, a, in an aboriginal camp in a tent. I had my own little tent there. And one of the Aborigines came running down the uh, a dirt road there and said, "Is there a Desiree in this camp?" And I 
opened up my door. I said, yes. And he said, you have a phone call. I said, a phone call? You know, how could this be out here in the middle of nowhere? And nobody had cell phones there, and you wouldn't have cell coverage anyway. Right. He said, you know, there's a pay phone like a quarter mile up the road. I left it off the hook for you. I'm like, what? I'm running out there. Get to pick up the phone while well, it's the executive producer of the You Asked For It show. Hi, this is Lee Mendelson. Um, you know, I remembered from your initial interview that you write music. I said, yes, I do. He said, I have this new project coming up, and my songwriting team isn't very together right now. I don't know what's going to happen. I wondered if you'd be interested in just writing, like, four songs for this show on spec. You know, I'd send them off to NBC. If they like them, then you'd have the job, you know, if not, you know, whatever. And I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah, I, you know, I'd love the opportunity. So um, he had gotten the number of that payphone, by the way, because my field producer, the people who, were, who I traveled with, had called in to the office, and so he had that number. It was, it was like a huge mystery to me, though, to get this phone call. So, you know, he FedExed the script to me when we were in Alice Springs, Australia, and I took the script and I ripped open the envelope and I, I found there was a, a honky-tonk bar there in the middle of town and I kind of knocked on the door because it wasn't open it was you know 10 o'clock in the morning you know no bars are open basically at 10 but there was somebody there working they let me in because I could see a piano through the window and I went in I sat down at the piano it had cobwebs all over the top of it clearly nobody really played it very much and it sounded really awful but I had a little Sony Walkman recorder do you remember those? Probably not. You guys are really Oh, yeah, actually, I do. I do. And yeah. I had one. <laughs> I took my little Sony Walkman, and I popped, put it on the top of the piano, and I read that script, and I began writing. I wrote five songs for that show and sent them back, FedEx, to them, and they got it to the head of specials for NBC at that time. I think his name was, oh, gosh, I could be wrong, but I think it was Bernie Sofronsky. Um, and he liked the music, and that was my first, then writing job so that when I got back home I went to Los Angeles and wrote the music for that show which was a very little known special it was called No Man's Valley again I believe it was NBC and it was about endangered animals and it was based on a book of the same title it was just a half hour primetime special and um, and that was my first break then writing music for animation and then right on the heels of that came the opportunity to write for Garfield. Oh, wow. How and, cool and is that? So, I, I, so, then I, so then I worked on different shows, you know, for Lee Mendelssohn, long before we were romantically involved. And then we got romantically mm-hmm. involved, and we got married. And then we didn't, <laughs> then we got unmarried. <laughs> yeah. And then Ed and I, and Ed and I had been songwriting partners for 17 years at that point. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. Now we have our twin well, nine-year-olds. And we continue to write lots of music together, so it's a good That's life. That's cool. That really is awesome. I mean, you know, it's it's so cool to hear stories like that because, I mean, you know, not a lot of people even would have known that. I certainly did not know this, and now I'm going to have to go out and start searching this, for this stuff on YouTube to see if it actually exists out there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know where No Man's Valley is. It's probably in No Man's Valley somewhere. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, That's you know, really cool. a cute little show. So. That's really cool. So, I was going to ask you about your website because I, I stumbled upon it not too long ago, maybe a month or two ago, uh-huh. and that's when I really got to hear your uh, clips that you have up and, and see the CDs that you've done. Oh. And 
the ones that really stood out to me were um, From Where He Stands and Let It Go. Thank you. And, oh, I love them Thank so much. Thank you. And I can't believe I didn't know that they were there all this time, all oh, these years. Oh. Well, you know, I after, um, you know, I, I dabbled, as you know, in some uh, commercial music early on. At, well, I got two Grammy nominations, which was a big deal for me. Oh, that is oh, a big I deal. I that. Early that in, awesome. in the career. And, and I thought really that I was, like I say, I really felt that I was going to be a recording artist, and I thought that's really where my focus would end up being, but it kind of got derailed a little bit, but in a positive way. I mean, I'm really grateful. Life has a way of bringing us into things that I think are right for us, kind of we almost can't mm-hmm. fight it if we're open to it. And then um, uh, really, actually, it would have been in the early 90s, in the early 90s, both my mother and my brother got very ill. Um, my, my brother, I lost him at age 30 to cancer, and my mother, mm. my mother two years later, same thing, to cancer. And so oh. at that time, I, I came back up from L.A., and I, I just kind of as part of my being with them, I got deep into more spiritual or spiritually oriented music. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I, you know, I'd always had that in my heart and had written some inspirational music before, but I got deep into it during that time because I wanted them to hear it. I wanted them to have it. Right. And that's when I, I, I wrote the whole From Where He Stands um, CD. I, I got it all. Um, I had all the demos done, so my mom heard all the demos before she passed. And that was um, really, I was happy that she was able to hear oh, it um, yeah. before that was done. And and so what I found, once I did that first CD, I found that I had a very willing audience for that type of music. And so that's when I started that little publishing company, Light Child, and that's what you're talking about, my Light Child publishing right. site. And um, so I began focusing on that, and I continue to write that kind of music, but I also, side by side, you know, I love jazz, I do cabaret shows out here and love doing I do a Judy Garland impression and so I have a friend who does oh, a great I have a friend who does so a great Nat, Nat King Cole and we do a show called the Nat and Judy show together and and that, oh, how fun. that is really really fun so you know, a little bit of everything and still I wow. then I got deep into doing voices for toys too once I had my children then that led me in the direction of voices in toys and so that's mm-hmm. when I did a lot of I, I've done the voice of Barbie and lots of toys lots of the Talking Toys, you'll hear my voice in those. That's Barbie. And um, also, Very cool. um, also the, um, do, I'm doing the, uh, many of the LeapFrog and Fisher-Price toys whenever you push a button. You, we all have nieces and nephews or sons and daughters or whatever, maybe grandchildren even by now, some listeners hopefully, that you, you, know, you press a button and it goes A. A says A ah, and A says A. That's me. <laughs> that annoying that voice is so cool. That parents oh, want not to annoying take the at toy all. Very fun voice. <laughs> so, so, um, That's a yeah. very fun voice. Yeah, so I do, I've been having fun doing voices and toys for quite a while now. That's yeah. very cool. You know, I think we actually just lost Amy. I think uh, her connection died out, so hopefully she'll call back in in a second here. Oh, God. Um, and we're yeah, I just I just now noticed that yeah that her that her thing went away, so hopefully she'll be back. Uh, well, my phone cut off, I guess. Sorry. Your phone said, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> well, it's charged. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things. When I, when I, um, I don't remember who it was that posted. I think it might have been Gemspace. 
um, who, by the way, want to give a huge shout out to Gemspace too, by the way, because they've really helped promote the show. Hey, and um, that's right. Um, and of course, if you want to visit their website, it's uh, gemspace.com. That's with two S's. You know, one of the things that I did, I, when I listened to that music, I was just like, wow. I was absolutely floored by just just the wide range that you have with this music, and it's just amazing. And I still haven't bought your CD, and I'm still I'm still going to buy your CD. So, um, you know, definitely going to do that. Um, Don't let it go. It's my current favorite because it's the newest one. Oh, I love that. From what I've heard, anyway. That's true. I was wondering, though... as a musician myself for a long time, and I've been a writer since I was, you know, 13, and um, I just wondered, like, where do you draw your inspiration from? Obviously, I know from your family situation, but where else do you draw your inspiration from uh, as a musician? You know, I, I think that anything you do, you have to love it. If you're really going to be good at it, you have to love mm-hmm. it. And I grew up loving, loving music, loving all different kinds of music and listening to all different kinds of music. And, and we're like sponges, you know, really at any age if we allow that. We're like mm-hmm. sponges. And we draw in then to our consciousness all different kinds of things. And so, so then when you want to express yourself, I find music to be the quickest, easiest way for me to express certain things that are more difficult sometimes to just, just speak. It's easier to say them through music for me. And oh, and I and so agree. and so I I really use there are many every day there's something of inspiration to me if I were to take the time and sit down at the piano there's something every day either a conversation I've had a connection I've made um, something with my children they're a constant source of inspiration you know <laughs> concern, oh, of course concern and inspiration you know but all of that yeah and and I think the humility that, you know, because life kind of smacks us into shape when it comes to humility. You know, if you, if you, <laughs> oh, yeah. if you don't <laughs> have it, you get that wake-up call pretty much every day at some point about mm-hmm. going to that place of humility. And, and I think it's in that sort of climate that your heart and your mind become sort of fertile ground for creativity. And, um, you know, you sit there, and the good news is um, – when you've done it as long as I have, there's never a doubt in your mind that you're not going to be able to, you know, you, you have that blank sheet of paper in front of you, and there's never a doubt that you're going to have something written on it you, because it, you don't feel like it. It almost feels like it's not coming from you. It's like you become a scribe, and it's just mm-hmm. there. And so when you're ready to listen to it, it's like it's like it's like calling up an old friend. It's like... You know, calling someone up and saying, "Hey, how's it going?" And then they tell you something, and yeah. and and so you can say, you know, "Hey, you know, what what what's mine to write today? What what's mine to share today? What's mine to express today?" And gosh, I think I think um, all of us, whether it's writing a song or you know uh, sharing a great conversation like this with friends <laughs> just for the just for the love of it right i mean you know yeah. there's so much that can happen um and i think the world is getting a big message right now with what we're seeing happening all over you know in terms yeah. of that 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 the soul has to express itself it it will not stay silent forever it cannot be oppressed forever it's going to find right. a way out and that's right out. And that is such a positive thing, and and to be present with that, 
um, uh, is is the source of inspiration. It's it's when we're too busy to be present with that that we that the well runs dry seemingly from our creative. You know, oh gosh, gee, I can't be creative today. Gee, I wonder why not. You've been like working <laughs> ten hours and you've been running here and running there, and you haven't taken a one moment to talk to anybody or to connect with a person with humanity today. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, and I think that's texting and stuff, and you're not connecting with people if you're texting. It's better to talk, but yeah. people yeah. insist on using technology, you know, in other right. ways. Right. Although yeah. I have to say, I used to be adamantly opposed to things like fa- Facebook. I'm, oh, I'm never going to go on Facebook. But at, <laughs> least, at least I see it as this microcosm. When I, Hey, it's like I said, Stuff's going to leak out. That expression has to find a way to express itself. Right now, Facebook is a way for people to make an attempt at connecting. That's right. That's we true. are so glad that you got on Facebook. And I and appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. You. I appreciate that very much about what no, technology that... is giving us. You know, it's, it's meeting a need for really people's hunger. Every time those little pop-up things come up and it's a hi there, you know, that's, that's a need we all have to connect. Yeah, so, that's true. Anyway, that I know I'm true. taking you past your hour. <laughs> oh, actually, no. Actually, we still got we still okay? got some time left. You know, oh. yeah. I mean, we can you know we can even run it a little bit longer. You know, if if we need to. I mean, that's not a problem. This is all approximate times, anyway. So, I mean, I'm having a blast. I'm sh- I know Amy's having a blast too. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> of course I am. And Craig, I want to hear more about your bass playing. So you're well. He's good. I've heard I'm very, I'm very humble about my bass playing. I, I believe it's been a very um, big gift um, from God. And one of the things I, I started was when I was two years old. Um, you remember the song "You Light Up My Life" by Debbie sure. Boone, I believe. Sure. I used to, I used to sing that song on my toes when I was two years old, and I just now just basically gave my age up. That's okay. Um, and. <laughs> And I remember, I think, I don't know what it was, but I just felt music flow through me at such a young age. And it wasn't until I was, like I said, when I, when I saw the show, The Great Space Coaster, and heard the music that it really flowed through me. And I just became so passionately enraptured in music. And then at age eight, I my dad used to have a little acoustic guitar um, that his sister gave him, and I used to pull it out even though I wasn't supposed to pull it out of the closet, and I used to pluck at the strings. I couldn't play chords or anything like that, but I still had fun. And I'd always wanted to be a drummer. That's what I always wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, hit drums. And I used to use air, and, and when that was really huge in the, in the 70s and 80s, and I used to um, line them up in a con... Uh, I think it's a convex uh, form in the, in the little rainbow thing. From high to low, put pan lids as my cymbals and whatever, and used to use uh, pencils as my drumsticks. <laughs> well, but the bass, the bass playing, though, didn't start until I was 13, because I was like, you know what, I'm never going to be able to get a drum set, so I'll just go to bass. My friend suggested I go to bass, and uh, since guitar never worked out either, because my hands were a little too big for guitar, mm-hmm. so I went to bass, and I've been playing bass ever since, and I'm going to be hitting 22 years on bass, self-taught, by the way. Um in this summer, I think sometime around June, Good I'll be a 22-year veteran. So, That's but I've been awesome. a, I've been a songwriter. I, I like I said, I can't I can't read music worth a darn. I mean, I can't. It's a language that I've never learned, never mastered, and music theory bored me. And and so I, I learned basically I just write in chart format, you know, like a C and then put how many beats are on that C and you know an F sharp or whatever. That works. Yeah, you know, that's how, that's how I write. That's fine. Yeah. And I kind of, I did my music shorthand, too. I mean, even though I studied piano uh, very young, and so 
I had a grasp of it, and my first couple of years of piano lessons, I wasn't reading the music at all. Um, I, <laughs> I just played so well by ear, and my teacher would make the mistake of playing it once for me, you know, and then I'd just, you know, yep. play it by ear. And my mom's the one who caught on to that, even though she didn't read music herself. She tested me. She's like, okay, so what's that note called? What is that? You know, and I really couldn't tell her. Um, and yeah. so she switched teachers and got me to someone that really worked with my reading, and then I became really a very, I'm a very good reader. Um, so that mm-hmm. has helped me a lot with, with my writing, but, but honestly, I didn't use that skill as a writer because I felt it slowed me down. So like you, I would record, I would you know quickly record it, or I would play it over mm-hmm. and over and over and over again so I could memorize what I was writing, or I would write this yeah. shorthand. I'd like write little hieroglyphics of specific little, maybe a little melodic line and kind of what the basic mm-hmm. chords might be. Um, but 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 then I went back to school. When I moved back up around that time when my when my family was going through so much, I went back to school. I I also um, I enrolled at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music because I felt like even though I that was after I'd already been writing for Garfield and all this stuff, mm-hmm. I just decided that I wanted to. Um, develop that skill to a level to where I felt like if I were alone on an island and I would be able to leave a legacy of written notes of my music. I wanted to have that sense, that freedom from any dependency to mm-hmm. like work, work with a copyist or working with an arranger or an orchestrator. I really wanted to have such a good foundational understanding of it that I could do it that way. And so when I went back to school, I just, oh, I ate it up. I loved it. I, I'm one of these, I could, like, I'd still be there today. I loved it so much. But um, that, oh, wow. that, helped, that helped a lot. And so now, you know, I do write out most of what I write. And Ed's exceedingly fast at it. I mean, he's scary fast. So I get lazy, <laughs> I get, I get lazy a lot. And I'll say, here, hon, come over here. I'm going to play this for you. Will you write it out? And, I mean, he does it. He does it like you're just writing, you know, no, um, taking notes. I mean, he's so fast. Wow. So, That's incredible. Very intimidating. <laughs> how fast he is. So, so really quick, about you and Ed, um, yeah. how do, how well do you guys work together as far as, you know, um, as far as musicians are concerned? Because obviously, I mean, do you guys share the same styles, like the same musics, or is it kind of more like, you know, like a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll type of thing? You know, it's both. I, how do I put it? We're, we are, I am a, a real melodic Creature. I love a great melody line, and I love mm-hmm. really colorful harmonies. He loves colorful harmonies, but he the melody is less important to him. Mm-hmm. Bo- both of us are hugely interested in words, and so we're both real wordsmiths, and sometimes we'll argue a little bit over, you know, exactly the right word. But, mm-hmm. but, but honestly, the, way we, the whole way that we fell in love was writing these songs together and realizing how much on the same page we were in that, you know, he'd start a sentence and I would finish it or I would start a phrase and he would finish it and it would be like word for word what each other was thinking. So it was like the same person writing the song together. Um, There is somewhere a piece of video that exists, you will love this, (laughs) guys, where uh, we were writing music for a Garfield special, and the special was mm-hmm. Babes and Bullets. That was the name of the show. Babes and Bullets. Garfield. Okay. Babes and Bullets. And um, this was sort of a video they were doing, like the making of Babes and Bullets. Um, it, it was for it was for the Garfield's 10th anniversary special. That's what it was. 
Garfield's 10th anniversary special. And Jim Davis brought Ed and me into a room, and before the cameras, he said, now, my songwriting team is the fastest team, you know, around, and just to prove it, they know nothing about the next, the upcoming special that we're working on. I'm going to give them a quick synopsis of it, and I'm going to ask them to write the theme song right now in front of the cameras. So that's exactly what happened. He, he um, basically told us what it was about, and we instantly launched into writing this song. He said it, he wanted to be kind of bluesy. Ed started playing something. I started singing something, and the song was written, I don't even remember. It was like in five minutes. And, and a lot of people thought that, that when the special, when the anniversary show was actually aired on CBS, they thought that people, we'd use like time-lapse photography or something, but we actually, or, you know, like edited it or whatever. No, it was right. real time, and we oh, wrote it in that space. That's how fast we write together, and, and it's really, it's a fun experience. We love writing together. It, it's, it's, music does bring people together. Definitely. It does. It really does. It really does. And, it really does. And, and we write our own things too, you know. And and um, he loves writing. Uh, he can write harder kind of bluesy stuff than what I do. Um, he has he can write with more of an edge than what I write. Um, and uh, and he also is a very orchestral guy. So he's a a very fine um, orchestrator. And um, he's a string player himself. He plays keyboards and strings and and played in an orchestra for a number of years. So he has that advantage of having sat right in the center in the viola section, where, as he always points out, the viola has so little to do that they can really sit there and listen <laughs> to the rest of the orchestra <laughs> and learn, you know, how to be good orchestrators. And so he had that uh, opportunity very early on. He was playing in professional string quartets and orchestras from age 11. He's like, he was a prodigy um, on the violin and viola. Wow. Yeah, so... So he's That's really impressive. That, that is really impressive. Was, but I mean, he was like he did charts for Sly, okay, and he he was the producer for um, Cal Jader Records with Fantasy Records for years. And his claim to fame, I don't know if you'll know about this. It's kind of a naughty movie, but it was the first naughty animated feature, Fritz the Cat. Ed I've Ed seen that, and yeah, that is that that he wrote on that show. He, he did all the music as as a musician. He did all. He did wrote all. Oh wow, that's mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, yeah, Amy. I don't think you'd want to watch. It's it's pretty. It's definitely oh, as yeah, as Desiree says, going, very naughty. Yeah, I was going. I don't know what that is. Fritz the cat. It was sort of a yeah, naughty. Fritz the like, cat. I think it was the first X-rated uh, animated show. Mm-hmm. Oh so, my. And it was long, long, before, long before I knew him. <laughs> so I always tease myself. Yeah, what did you think about what did you think about that when he when he uh, told you about the, Oh yeah, I wrote well, for Fritz the Cat. It was and sort then... of like it was sort of a joke. It was sort of like you know, well of course he's a musician. He'll take anything you can get, any job you can get. <laughs> as a musician. That's hysterical. That is yeah. awesome. I, I had read um, online that you worked on the Little Mermaid 2 soundtrack for Here on Land and Sea. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, I did. Oh, I, I'm such a fan of anything Little Mermaid. I'm, oh. Um, so I read that and I'm all like, oh, I wonder if that's right because I just think that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, actually, I, and I got that job through a dear friend of mine who worked at Disney for years and years. Her name is Bambi. Can you believe it? Bambi is Disney. <laughs> For years, Bambi Moe. Actually, she was um, um, quite a prominent figure there at Disney and Disney Records division for a number of years. Um, Now she's an independent uh, manager, producer, whatever you name it. She's great. 
Um, but she called me up one day because they were, uh, I had often said to her, hey, if ever you need anyone to sing, you know, backups in any of the stuff that you're working on. She actually, I uh, believe, produced that. She was one of the producers on it or the music supervisor. I don't remember what her exact title was on it. She called me. She said, okay, come on down. Can you come down tomorrow and do a session? Sure. Let me tell you, that was one of the toughest sessions I've ever done because, you know, I I am actually, a, I'm a really good studio singer. I'm a very good sight reader. And the folks in this crew are are sharper and better than I am. They're just so, so amazing because they do it every day. You know, the, the, the work in, in Hollywood is far more abundant than it is up in San Francisco. And... Um, you know, I'd been out of it, out of the fray of the everyday in the studio kind of work for a while and working with that caliber of singers. I work with some great singers up here, um, but this particular crew of singers that they had working on this Disney film are just, you know, jaw-droppingly great. And, was um, it a, a large group of people? Yeah, it was a fairly, it was, um, six or seven of us, I guess. And, um, I mean, I kept up, but I, I knew that I was on my edge, you know. <laughs> Because in these kinds of sessions, um, first of all, it's very, very costly. So the people they're bringing in, they want them to be able to basically you look at the music, you sing it. And um, like I say, I consider myself, I know I'm a good sight reader. These guys are even better. I mean, they're just, they were just so on it. And, um, but I loved working on it. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to be one of those voices in a Disney film and so I'm a Me hidden too. voice in that Disney <laughs> film. But you know what's funny? When I sing, I do children's assemblies. My husband and I both do a lot of little workshops and things for kids, songwriting workshops and things. And many's the time when these little tiny tots come, you sound just like Ariel. Aww. Like, always, oh, thank you. <laughs> I had a little kid what tell a compliment. me that one when uh-huh. I, I sang a Little Mermaid song for this uh, group of kids at a camp and I hear the voice of Ariel. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm no, nowhere near. So you're a <laughs> singer so too, cute. huh, Amy? Yeah, you are both musical. How oh, I love to sing. Very musical. But, and like yeah. you, I thought it was so interesting that you said you started out imitating other people because that's what I did. I mean, I've always imitated like um, Jody Benson, who did Ariel, and a lot of Disney people. Nice. You know, try to imitate anyway. So nice. Well, she's very humble, but she's really good at it. I've I've heard her stuff. She's really good at it. Nice. Well, I'll have to check out your your site too. I bet you have a site. Do you, Amy? Oh, I don't. No, I don't. Have a, All right, you're gonna have to website. post something. Send me a little snippet <laughs> on Facebook or or my email or something. I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some. If you want to check out some of the stuff I got, if if you look at my uh, in my profile under my videos, I've actually got some stuff when I did with a, with a previous band. Okay. And uh, you can you can see me. Uh, I guess you could say rocking out on stage or whatever. Um, I so that. I will do that. Yeah. And now I see we have exceeded your hour here, and oh, I hope well. my kids aren't still up trying to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get back down. But oh, such a pleasure talking to you guys. Oh, it was awesome Thank talking you to so you too, much. Desiree. I we learned a lot from you today. Oh yeah, you <laughs> really so great did. Stories. Thanks. Well, let yeah, me no know doubt. if you ever want me to show up at another Gen Con. That'd be so fun. Oh, well, that's so definitely fun. something that they they would love is is for you to go to Gen Con. They know that uh, it's going to be in Europe this year, Boy. and in Holland, I think, is where they're holding it. Or Amsterdam, I think it's Holland. And uh, then 2012 is when it's supposed to come back to the states. We just don't know where um, it's going to be held, but uh, yeah. I know they'd want you there for sure. 
We so, should the whole showcase. You play bass, and Amy and I sing, and whoever <laughs> else sings. It could be an open mic gem fest. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, I, I know a couple songs on. Funny thing is, I actually learned a couple songs on bass uh, for gems. So I think uh, one of them is uh, "We Can Make a Difference," which actually has a really good, you know, just a really good simple bass line that I learned. So yeah, we but, should uh, all learn a couple of those gem songs. Heck, I'll even learn one. <laughs> heck yeah, that'd, that'd be, be so awesome. Cool to hear you sing a We'll throw that up on YouTube, too. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. hey, uh, Desiree, it's been an honor, absolute oh. honor talking to you tonight, and I learned a lot. Thank and, you. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, do you have any final thoughts about, you know, the whole gem experience or, or, you know, what you've done in your career? You know, is there anything you really want to say about that? Gosh, I just, it just impresses on me how, um, you never know how something you've done is going to leave an impression. And um, I'm really grateful that that's the case with um, with dance and with the whole gem series, that it's left some sort of an impression. I think that's one of our um, heart's desires. Everybody hopes that they can leave some sort of an impression, hopefully a positive one. And so it's it's an honor to feel that um, that maybe maybe I was able to do that a little bit, and I really... Uh, appreciate your interest in in who I am and and what I've done. Thank you for that very much. Oh, absolutely. And actually, you know, one of the things that I, I know that we were going to say is that you know, dance is a character that I know inspired and influenced a lot of people as kids, especially the ones where they had the dedicated episode where you know, dance was dealing with the runaways, you know, the runaway children, oh, yeah. and things like that you know, at Haven House. Yeah, it's so funny that. I never thought much about it until recently, but I really was very influenced by dance because, and Jerrica too, working with the kids, I ended up growing up, and now I work with kids at uh, elementary school at a nonprofit organization, after-school program, and I look back and I think, wow, it was so much influence came from being glued to the TV watching Jim mm-hmm. and seeing these characters helping these kids It made me in some way, want to give back and help kids great. when I got older. Great. Yeah, they were really positive role models. That's great. Exactly. Well, again, Desiree, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, yeah. uh, you know, we will definitely uh, touch base with you in the future if you want to, you know, come back on our show or if, uh, you know, you want to do anything, you know, with uh, Amy and I and just musically or whatever. It'd be kind of cool to kind of <laughs> collaborate right, on some stuff. <laughs> All right. You got it. Hey, you can interview Ed sometime. He'll, he'd be oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If he's if he's up for that, absolutely. Because, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know much about, uh, about your husband's work, but... Uh, it won't be too hard Maybe to research it, let out. me tell you. That's right. You'll find out. We will research that stuff. All right. Thank well, anyway, um, yeah, you too. Thanks Thank so much, Desiree. You. Have All a great right. night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that obviously wraps up the rest of our show tonight. And, again, we want to thank Desiree Goyette Bogus for uh, – offering to do this show tonight. It was amazing. And uh, we'll be back next week with our, on Tuesday at our regular time. And uh, the show that week will be, um, ep- I believe, the fourth episode of the movie called Frame Up. So if you guys want to join us then, we'd love to have you. Well, again, I'll say goodnight. And uh, bye, everybody. Good night.